Okay, we'll go ahead and get started. We're going to be uh, looking once again to Psalm 22. So why don't we turn there and I'm going to read it again. Psalm 22. So to the 22nd Psalm, to the chief musician upon Ijalith Shehar, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset, beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations." All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord 
for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. And he hath done this thing. Now you remember last week I announced that I would, Lord willing, be doing some preaching upon the 22nd Psalm. And I was able to at least complete part one of what we're calling uh, our introduction. That is uh, giving a brief look, an overview of uh, at this time, or of what we did last week, the book of Psalms as a whole, we talked about that, some of the uses of the Psalms, and not only were they used for uh, teaching and preaching and proof texts and so forth, but the main thing they, of course, used was for singing. Now, for part two, my purpose will be to then to examine briefly Psalm 22 as a whole, and then, I don't think I'll have time this morning, and then we'll get to the title. So this morning we want to do, as I said, a, just kind of a simple overview of Psalm 22 itself. Luther said about this psalm, he says, this is a kind of gem among the psalms. And certainly that's true. It is a rare gem. And while there are several what they call plaintive uh, psalms in the Psalter, but yet this one certainly ranks as the highest. And we do see, of course, uh, the complaint that is listed here in the first half of the psalm anyway, and then, of course, some other things a little bit later on in the psalm. So it truly is then a gem among the psalms, and that certainly we appreciate it, not only because it is written by uh, God himself, that is, God inspired this, but also the fact that it does speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we mentioned last time as well. Now, we know that it does speak of the Lord Jesus because we find in the New Testament certain passages that are referenced to him from this psalm itself. And so what this psalm basically does then, it sets out the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, that is, his crucifixion. Now, we know this as well because of verse 1. We read that just a moment ago, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? You'll notice that a part of that passage is actually quoted a couple of times in the gospel. The first time it's mentioned is in Matthew chapter 27. And since we've got some time this morning, we'll turn to Matthew 27 and verse 46. And this, of course, is our Lord Jesus on the cross uh, as he is beginning to suffer there, and he cries out unto his father at this point, there in verse, uh, my pages are still sticking together in the new Bible, 46, where he mentions right here, he says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So this is the voice then of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 27, and he is taking that from Psalm 22. So we know then that this is a psalm that is in reference to Jesus Christ. He also speaks those same words over in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15 and verse 34. So I said there were two places in the Gospel where that, this passage is mentioned. Now, we know that there were seven sayings that were mentioned there on the cross by our Lord Jesus. Uh, he may have said more, but the scriptures only record seven particular things that he did utter. 
uh, Spurgeon, I was looking up something he said about the, the psalm as an overall. He mentioned that he said that those set, uh, part of the sayings of the Lord were found in the psalm. And he says, who knows, perhaps all of Psalm 22 was quoted by our Lord on the uh, cross itself. Well, we have no proof of that. That was some of Spurgeon's, uh, the way that he had sets forth things. And it was interesting that he would comment on that. I've never read anybody else saying anything like that. But it was interesting that he would have quoted that whole psalm. It's a possibility because I said not everything, of course, is uh, recorded there. We can also see as we read through the psalm, and perhaps it was familiar to you as you're hopefully aware of the Gospels themselves, we can find other passages from Psalm 22 that are quoted by New Testament writers. And again, they are attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, for instance, it says there, all they that see me, or excuse me, yeah, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying. That again is recorded in Matthew 27 and verse 39, the time when the Lord Jesus again was hanging on the cross. It's also in Math, uh, Mark chapter 15 and verse 29. Verse 8 as well, it says here, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Here we know that that's quoted again in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 43. Though it's not spoken by the Lord, it is spoken by his enemies that are standing there watching him. They're mocking him at that time while he is suffering upon the cross. Verse 18 is again quoted. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Uh, here we see not a sermon against gambling. What it's talking about is, is the fulfillment of this particular portion of the psalm in reference to the Lord Jesus. It's found in Matthew 27 and verse 35, where the Roman soldiers there are anying up to in order to get the clothing and garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalm contains the language, of course, as we mentioned, of the crucifixion. Verses 16 and 17, it says, Therefore dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. And again, that is in reference to, we believe, to the crucifixion as our Lord Jesus was nailed to the cross uh, where he was, of course, suffering for the sins of his people. Now, if one were to ask, as the Ethiopian eunuch, you remember, did to, uh, to Philip, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? We would have to say it is in reference then to Jesus Christ, of course, who is the Son of God. We also mentioned last week a little bit about uh, just... Who are all the characters mentioned here or spoken of here in the psalm? Is it speaking of Christ and Christ alone? Or is it speaking of David or perhaps even some others themselves? That is, all the righteous themselves somehow worked into this. Well, what may be of David in this psalm or others, it may is truly then, if they are, those things are certainly eclipsed by our Lord Jesus in his sufferings and, of course, of his triumphs. There is no other psalm like this one, as we could see in the uh, idea about it being the suffering Savior 
and the description of him. Now, we know who the author of the psalm is, and of course, that is David, because our title certainly mentions that. Now, we do know that to be a fact, but whether it's David here actually being spoken of, uh, let me give you several things. These are not mine, and I can't remember now what commentator I got this from. It may have been Barnes, I'm not sure. But he, he says, uh, against the view that David means to describe in the psalm his own dangers, sufferings, and deliverance, it is reasonably urged that David was at no time in the circumstances here described. And this would go true to everyone, because again, there is a view that says that it's speaking of all the righteous who may suffer. Well, some of these things that we're about to announce here could not be applied to individuals or to David himself. And uh, again, not to say there isn't some kind of application to those things, but as far as the real intent here in this psalm. He says he was never without a helper, Psalm 22, 11. David never was despised of the people, Psalm 22, 6. He was never stripped of his clothes, Psalm 22, verse 17. He was never in the state of exhaustion, weakness, and emancipation. Of starving that are spoken of in Psalm 22, 14 through 17. It would be great if I could pronounce words better. Never pierced either in his hands or feet, Psalm 22, verse 16. Never made a gazing stock, Psalm 22, verse 17. Never insulted by having his garments parted among his persecutors or lots cast upon his vesture, Psalm 22, Verse 18. Now, it is no doubt that David has had his sufferings. We could read that as we studied his life in First and Second Samuel. But whatever was spoken of here in David, if it was and truly tent to be that way, it was certainly pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who, of course, was the great sufferer, who had the great conflicts there upon the cross itself. Now, there are some commentators, obviously, who disagree with uh, Mr. Barnes or whoever was whoever wrote that. Calvin, if you read through some of his comments, seems to attribute it to David and any righteous sufferer and further than to Jesus Christ himself. J.A. Alexander, another guy who wrote on the whole of the Psalms, but comments on Psalm 22, uh, he says it's to David and to any suffering believer and, of course, to Jesus Christ. Uh, Barnes, who says it was to Christ alone. Matthew Henry, he states it as someone, it was as David, as a type or a figure of Christ. John Gill says it is of Christ. Robert Hawker, who doesn't surprise me, says to Christ only. And this, of course, is just a sampling of those commentators upon this psalm who gives their opinion regarding this. Now, as we work through this psalm, and as we just got through reading it a few minutes ago, and hopefully we'll read some more, and one perhaps even sing some more of the different uh, psalters that have this psalm in it, but the psalm is not wholly taken up with the sufferings of Christ. In other words, this whole psalm isn't dealing with him 
necessarily on the cross itself. And while we do see the psalm begins with a holy complaint there in verse 1, and from verse 1 then down through verse 22, 1, we do see something then of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But if you were listening carefully and reading along in uh, the psalm a while ago, when we got to verse 22, you certainly could tell there was a transition in the writing. That it was no longer about the sufferings and the complaints of pain and being forsaken and all that was going on to our Lord at that time. But there was this transition to something else. From It moves from a, a horrible storm of troubles and darkness and fears and doubts and pain especially to the calm, as someone said, of faith and light and a look to the triumphs of our Lord Jesus himself. Or we could also answer it this way, or say it this way, that God then was answering the prayers of that had been uttered there in the first part of Psalm 22. So there is this transition from the sadness, the darkness, and the terrible pain and all, to the triumphs of him, finally the resurrection and glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we do see that. So it's not all about sufferings upon the cross, though that is certainly what stands out in this psalm and as we hope to deal with it. The second thing I want us to deal with, and I do have a few more minutes left, is the title of our psalm. The title. And I'll deal with this in a couple of ways. First of all, looking at the titles themselves in general. Now, as there are lots of titles that we do find in the psalm, it will do well, I think, then at least to give some information regarding that. As you read through the psalm, you may think, oh, what is that psalm about? And then you see that, you see the title, and you want to know about that. So let me give you some suggestions, and some of these are we know to be right, and some of these are probably just, well, this is what we may think about these things. So let me first of all discuss all of this as a whole, and then we will secondly look at these things in particular when it comes to Psalm 22 itself. Now, most of you know that I consider the titles of the psalm to be Scripture. So they're correct then. You read commentator after commentator, and they'll tell you, well, this title here isn't correct, or there's something about this title that isn't correct. Well, obviously, they do not believe in the inspiration. Well, yeah, they wouldn't believe in the inspiration of these titles. Well, I do. Now, if that's your view, that you believe something else, that's fine. But I happen to believe that they are part of Scripture. Some do doubt the titles as being genuine, that is genuinely part of the sacred text but I'm not one of them. So just let you know from the get-go that when I begin to look at verse 22 and or Psalm 22 and the title itself, I'm taking it to be as the very Word of God itself, okay? So at least you know where I'm at on that. Now, as holding that position then, I do believe that the titles then have a purpose, as all Scripture does, all script, uh, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So I believe then, as the Scriptures are, or as the uh, titles are Scripture, then they're profitable. And they can give us several clues as we look to them. Now, not every psalm has a title, but many of them do. And I didn't take the time to count. 
But I do know this. The first psalm that has the title is Psalm 3. If you want to just quickly turn over there, since it's, we're in the same neck of the woods there. In Psalm 3, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. A couple of things we see there. One, that it's a psalm. Number two, that it was composed by David. Number three, we see the timing of it when he fled from Absalom, his son. You remember Absalom, his son, had rebelled against his father, rebelled against the kingdom. And this was some of the troubles that are described here that David went through. That's the first psalm, then, that has a title. And then as you read and turn through the psalms, you'll see other titles that are listed at the heads of the psalms. The last psalm that has a title is Psalm 145, where it says David's psalm of praise. So we see three things there. David is the author, then it's a psalm, and then it's a psalm of praise, and such as that. So we do see some different kinds. Those are the first, and that's the last of the final. But the titles can often be a help in giving several other pieces of information about the psalm and what they correspond to. For instance, they, as we've already pointed out, they can give the author, who that is, the person who composed it. We can see also to whom it was written or for or given to, like, for instance, to the chief musician, or it says that it was written for this particular person and so forth. Sometimes they speak of the kind of psalm in which it is uh, that's written. For instance, in Psalm 16, now this is one of those that's kind of a question mark, but the title reads, A Mittem of David. And that word, they say, has to do with the kind of psalm it is. Perhaps it's a teaching psalm. Again, that's just up for grabs, I think. But anyway, that's what some say. Sometimes... The psalm, will, the titles will tell you the purpose of the psalm. For instance, Psalm 100 will tell us that it's a psalm of thanksgiving. So all of us are pretty much familiar with Psalm 100. We sing at least the tune some, a lot of times, but we sing the psalm itself. And it is, you notice there, it's a psalm which gives thanksgiving to the Lord. So that's described there. Sometimes, for instance, to bring to remembrance, Psalm 38, verse 70. That psalm said it's a psalm of remembrance, to make us, re to remind us of some things, or to remind the author of some things, as the case may be. Psalm 92 has a psalm or song for the Sabbath. So if on the Lord's Day, you're looking for something to sing, well, there you go. You just turn to Psalm 92, and you can sing that psalm. And it would be appropriate for the Sabbath day. That's Psalm 92. Uh, there, I think it's Psalm 102. I think I have the reference right here. That it's a psalm as a prayer. It's a prayer. I remember speaking to Michael Bushel, the guy who I mentioned last week who wrote the, uh, I think, the definitive book on psalmody. And he said that there was a particular publisher that was going to publish the book. But when they found out that Mike believed that uh, some of the Psalms were written as prayers, they decided they wouldn't publish his book. And he, anyway, Mike related that to me. And I was surprised. I thought, why? It's often called a Psalm of a prayer or something like that. But yet these people uh, decided not to publish. Anyway, 
I think that's for their loss because I think it's a very good book. But anyway, there are some that are listed as some. Well, you probably know the man's name if I tell you who he is after services today. I was really surprised he thought that. Uh, fifthly, some may describe things we may not know. For instance, Psalm 6 and verse 1. Psalm 6, verse 1. To the chief musician on Neganoth upon Shemioth, a psalm of David. Now you go to the commentators, and all of them will give you, as many commentators you may read, they'll give you a different idea of what those particular words mean. Perhaps now, because I read mostly old stuff. Perhaps now they know what it means. But in the day, as uh, the commentaries that I read, uh, they didn't know. In fact, I won't take the time, but if you turn, if you have an authorized version that happens to have what they call the uh, translator's preface or something, translators to the reader, that's it. It's not found in a lot of Bibles, uh, but there are a few that do have them in them. We know there is that first one that's in most King James. It's the epistle to the king, where it reads like this, uh, to the most high and mighty Prince James. That's in most of them. There's a little letter that they had dedicated to him. But then there's another part. It's quite lengthy. It's called the translators to the reader. And what they do is they give you a little overview of the work in which they did in translating their authorized version. And there is a place in there, it talks about those hard words. And they will admit that they did not know what they meant. And so that's why you have some of those center reference, uh, the column there that has the center references or on the side or the bottom, where they would put in there a, an alternate reading in the margin. Sometimes it would be, as we'll find out in Psalm 22, I think we mentioned this here the other day, where it says, to the chief musician upon I, Jaleth, Shehar, that's actually... Uh, according to our resident scholar on that, this is true, that that's actually a uh, trans... No, I'm going to say transfiguration. That's what happened in the Gospels. That's not it. It's a... What do they call that when it goes from one language letter to another? Ah, so stupid. Transliteration. Thank you. Who said that? Very good, John. Learn something at home. All right. Transliteration. In other words, they left that word untranslated and they would tell you, perhaps I'll quote that next week, but they'll tell you they didn't know what the word meant. So, interesting. So there are some things that are described in those titles that no one knows what they mean, and so they were being honest enough either to transliterate them or just to put them there without any comment whatsoever. So, in my view, these uh, inspired uh, titles then can be very helpful to us. Now, there is one title I want us to go to and notice, and this is sort of the reason why, there's a couple of reasons why I believe they are inspired. One, they're in my Bible, so that makes them inspired. And then, because of this particular comment from the psalm and in 2 Samuel itself. If you'll notice, Psalm 18, there is a title to it. It says, To the chief musician... A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this psalm in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said, and then he gives you what he said. Now, if you turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 22, 2 Samuel, I'm already there, 2 Samuel 
chapter 22 and verse 1. Now, you remember a while ago, what we read was in the title, right? That was the title I read to you. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, we read this, which is part of the text of Psalms of 2 Samuel 22. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly the title in Psalm 18 that we just read a few moments ago. So, there we see one of the Psalms titles then is given by inspiration because it's part of the text. Well, we'll stop there, and then next time we'll actually pick up with the title itself there in Psalm 22. So we'll stop there and pick up later.